This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Steve Orlando, creator of Undertow with Art Chum Trahanov, and you are listening to Two Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 151 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 19th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein when I'm not secretly angry at our Canadian podcasting brothers, the panel culture. For our own country's Olympic hockey shortcomings, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. They're the only Canadians that I have recently had direct contact with. Not true. Princess Ashley's from Canada. She's on my list. Sorry, Ash. <laughs> oh. Boom. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not deeply upset by the subjective nature of the figure skating judging at the Olympics, I'm drinking ginger beer at 12.30 in the goddamn afternoon. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit web comic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. Are you upset about them taking shit on Gracie Gold? It was sad, right? Your wife probably cried all night. Poor Gracie Gold. She's adorable. I don't know what happened to Gracie Gold. In this week's episode... pay attention. Oh, you're a terrible American. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Undertow, number one, and New Warriors, number one. After that, we will review ten of this week's new comics faster than Vladimir Putin can go back to being a war-mongering thug during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be exposing the occult roots behind the cure to Bob Kotsis' Russian pink eye while we discuss what we're excited to read next week, and then we'll earn our comic reviewer paychecks when we review an entire series during our take a look it's in a book segment where this month we are discussing michael fife's cobra but before we go back to paying attention to things in real life like war and politics instead of mountain and ice-based sports let's take a moment to remind canada that you jerks may have won hockey and curling but we kicked your maple leaf wearing butts in the medal count and then we'll talk about this week's big news it appears that Fox has settled on a cast for their upcoming Fantastic Four reboot from Chronicle director Josh Trank. Miles Teller, who starred as Willard in the Footloose remake, will play Reed Richards. Jamie Bell, best known for playing the title role in the 2000 film Billy Elliot, will play Ben Grimm. House of Cards star Kate Mara will play Sue Storm. And finally, the rumors are true. Actor Michael B. Jordan will play Johnny Storm. Not Michael Jordan. Though. No, not Michael Jordan. <laughs> Jordan is known for his roles in Chronicle and Friday Night Lights, as well as his portrayal of Wallace in The Wire. Reports indicate that the film will draw more from the ultimate version of the Fantastic Four, which featured a much younger version of the team, a Sue Storm with an intellect that could give Reeds a run for its money, and a tweaked origin involving a teleportation accident rather than a space adventure. As of this writing, only Mara and Jordan's deals are finalized, but the others seem like a lock. Matt, we've talked a little bit about this before. What do you think now that the cast has been made more or less official? I'm going to start with the director. I like him. I liked Chronicle. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, we already knew this guy was he, involved. He proved he can do a good superhuman film. I don't have an issue with them looking at a younger version of the FF or an ultimate version of the FF because you really can't go back and do the FF the way that they are now unless it's set in the 60s. Well, and also bear in mind that if it's a, if it's a success, they are eyeing a franchise. Of These course. characters have to be able to get older, right. not be old and then be too old. I have no issue with that. And honestly, I don't have a big problem with the Human Torch being black, Asian, whatever. If they're, it depends how they're going to switch up the family or if they're going to switch up the family or if he's adopted. That's not my issue. My issue, when we get into this, and it's not a race thing, and it's easy to come off sounding like it is a race thing, but it's just a messing with icons thing. And right. you and I talked about this a little bit before we went into it. And I agree. It's really easy to sound like you're coming from a racial place. Like, he's supposed to be white. That's not the issue. The issue is he's supposed to be Johnny Storm. He's supposed to be the Johnny Storm that is an icon right. that I've known all my life. And even the ultimate Johnny Storm was pretty close to the Johnny Storm I knew all my life. Not, sure. 
and I agree with what you said the last time we talked about this. It doesn't add anything or take anything away from the character to make him black, but it does change the icon. And I brought up the aspect of well, what if they made super? What if Will Smith played Superman? Like it was rumored to happen. Look, like I don't that. even. I don't even like it when they take away Superman's trunks. Yeah, exactly. So, or put lions on his costumes and crap. Alan, I said trunks just for you. And I'm not saying that this can't be good. It probably can be pretty good. But I don't, I get really uncomfortable when they start messing with icons, especially like the Fantastic Four, the first Marvel family. Yes, I agree. And I, I don't have any problem either. My main concerns are... I should also say, I love that actor. He's a yeah, fantastic sure. actor. Absolutely. My, my main concerns are, at the very least, please make it so that Johnny and Sue are still yeah. siblings. Yeah, don't change that. You know, because and I, otherwise, if, what's the point? I don't care if he's adopted. They have a different mom or dad or whatever, just as long as they're siblings. Right. I, I, I don't really mind them casting a black Johnny Storm, as long as it's good. And I agree. And as long as it's at least, it at least honors the source material. My question is this, what does it add right. to make him black rather than make a movie about a black superhero? Right, exactly, like the Black Panther. Is this just Hollywood? Is this Fox saying, well, how are we going to get black people to come see this movie? Right, and, if and that that's, that's, that's kind of my problem. It, then I'm saying, look, maybe I give black people a little more credit than you do. Because <laughs> <laughs> a superhero movie is a superhero movie. And if it's good, people are going to go see it. Sure. You know? If there's nothing to be gained... By making Johnny Storm black, then it's stunt casting. Yes. And I went as far as to say I didn't even picture Kate Mara as my invisible girl. I, I And you were like, well, they can make her blonde or whatever. I'm sorry. There are no blondes working in Hollywood. And I'm sure she'll be great. I like her. She's really good on House of Cards. And she's a very talented actress. She's just not who I pictured. If I had had my way, I would have swapped Jamie Bell and Miles Teller. Make Miles Teller Ben Grimm. That, yeah. Why isn't Jamie Bell Reed Richards? Yeah. These choices all have a motivation behind them. And they make nerds nervous. Right. And it's not, like you said, I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning the motivation. Yes. It's a hard thing to talk about without sounding like an asshole. Right. And we're doing our best. <laughs> well, like we said, messing with icons. Nobody yep. likes that. In comic news, Top Shelf Productions has announced plans to offer a line of DRM-free digital versions of select graphic novels directly to readers on their website. Aside from the ability to read their digital offerings on any device, Top Shelf will sell these graphic novels at a discount, offering an even deeper discount with the purchase of the print version. For example... Xander Cannon's Heck is available in print as a 1999 hardcover. Top Shelf will sell the digital version for 9.99, discounted even further to 2.99 with the purchase of a print copy. Only a dozen or so titles are available so far, such as Underwater Welder by Jeff Lemire, which was awesome. March, book one by Congressman John Lewis and Nate Powell, which I heard was amazing. And God is Disappointed in You by Mark Russell and Shannon Wheeler, which is totally kick-ass. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. The full list can be found on the Top Shelf website, topshelfcomics.com, and that's comics with an X, because they're clever like that. Joe, is this a natural stage of evolution for digital comics? You know, I think it is, and I think that it's very, very smart. I think it's brilliant. The music industry has already been doing stuff like this. The DVD industry even did stuff like this. I'm going to buy Xander Cannon's Heck because of this. I'm going to do it because I like the idea of this. I think it makes a lot of sense. And if what was currently going on at Marvel and DC worked, if it was actually working, we would see that in the sales. DC offers a $1 more expensive version of most of their mainstream a comics combo pack. with a digital download. They call it a combo pack. Those combo packs don't sell worth a if no, you look at the numbers. They don't. Less than 50%, like JLA, which is arguably their highest selling book, their combo packs sell less than 50% of the just normal title. So that is not working. This, I think, is something that could work. Well, and that's because they're just they're selling those to people that want the print and the digital. I get that. That doesn't count the digital sales. Well, I get that, but what I'm saying is they're they're doing the same here, essentially. They're just offering it to you in a different way. Well, and yeah, they're parceling it different. Right. And I think it I not only that, but they're totally controlling it as well. 
which is brilliant. And you can't tell me that Marvel and DC can't do that on their own. <laughs> you know, top joke. Oh, absolutely. Is doing it. No, I, and I, I don't mean to take anything away from Marvel for doing that digital no, initiative. No, no. That brings me to my next question: What is the impact on comic shops? Should they be nervous? Personally. I don't really think so. I don't think so either because I think the next logical extension of this is to do this in the comic shops too. Right. When you go to the comic shop and you buy Heck for nineteen ninety nine, there's a coupon in there, you know, or whatever. It offers sure. you to go buy the digital thing for two bucks. You just make it as simple as possible. Make it as simple as possible. Do it this way and offer it logically just like this in the comic shop. Yeah. You go and you buy March book one, then you have the option to go to their website and pay top shelf again. It's a great idea. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, I agree. Finally, the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer arrived this week to almost universal excitement. The trailer struck a perfect chord between humor and action, showing audiences that while they may be funny, the Guardians are no joke. The trailer also offered our first real glimpse of Rocket Raccoon, a character most comic fans would never imagine making it to the big screen. Unfortunately, the trailer is also a somber reminder of the tragic story of Rocket's co-creator, Bill Mantlo, who suffered a traumatic brain injury after being struck by a hit-and-run driver in 1992. Mantlo was a prolific writer for Marvel in the 70s and 80s with runs on fan-favorite titles like Cloak and Dagger, The Incredible Hulk, and Rom Space Knight. After the trailer dropped, writer Greg Pak posted a reminder of Mantlo's condition on his blog, as well as information for those interested in donating to Bill's ongoing care. We'll post that information in our show notes and encourage everyone that was blown away by the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer to do what they can to show their appreciation to Bill Mantlo, whether it's a card or a donation or a letter to Marvel Comics encouraging them to do the same. Hopefully his contributions can be honored with something more substantial than an on-screen credit. Now Rocket Raccoon checked into his room that's big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums, where I can't make a funny joke this week because Joe ended the news with a super downer in his continued quest to get into heaven someday. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Every Friday, the Vatican's number one candidate for sainthood, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com. Joe, what did we ask these listeners this week? Let's talk about that Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Hey, all right. It's okay to be excited. What did you love? Patton Oswalt lost his Yeah. <laughs> he loved it. What did you love? <laughs> what did you hate? Are you more or less excited for this film now that we're finally seeing real footage? You can call and leave us a message with your answer using our Skype. Our Skype handle is TwoHeadedNerd, all one word, and uh, it doesn't always work. Or you can hit us at our Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894. Keep your call under three minutes, or Mr. Google is going to cut you off. It's not me. Or you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. But again keep it under three minutes or I will be forced to cut you off. If you need to talk more than that, go to the forums, write a whole goddamn book about the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. We'd love to read it and share your thoughts with you over at the THN web forums. It's review time on THN where Matt and I watch two of this week's new comics take to the ice and skate their hearts out while secretly giggling when they fall on their butts. It's actually kind of sad. <laughs> Matt, what did you review this week? This week I reviewed Undertow, number one from Image. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Artyom Trakhanov. Sure. He Russian. Here's your solicit. And I have to read it again because if I don't, you're... <laughs> I just don't even know where to start otherwise. Atlantis is the world's superpower, and Reedham and Shargle's its worst enemy. If you want to break free of the system, he can offer you a place at his side, exploring the wild surface world in his watertight city barge, the Deliverer. He and his hostage protege, Ukinu Alal, hunt the amphibian, a legend that could be the key to an air-breathing life on land. But as they become hunted, Ken and Shargle's team survive long enough to turn the tables on the godlike beast they've set out for. I'm not going to read the rest because it's not important. It's no secret that I love weird sci-fi, and the higher the concept, the harder my nipples get. But Orlando somehow manages to take an insanely high-concept sci-fi story and not only make it accessible, but make it very relatable. 
Whether reading The Submariner or Aquaman, I've never quite felt like Atlantis was a place full of believable or relatable characters. It seems like whenever we meet Atlanteans, they speak like Shakespearean actors. Even when the Atlantean shows up in the pages of New Warriors this week, she was like, I am so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so, and and I am seeking heroes. (laughs) You know, they're never just like, hey, how's it going? (laughs) That's because they're not from America. I get that. I've enjoyed underwater stories of both Marvel and DC, but like I said, I've always felt the idea of Atlanteans and Atlantis and whether the people were blue or light-skinned, they just never felt like people. Orlando sets up Atlantis as a dominant force in what is presumably an Earth where humans have just started using crude stone tools. The fish people are the stars here. They're dealing with very familiar problems, and they feel like people. They talk like you and me. Yeah. Atlantis is ruled by an absolute plutocracy that controls its citizens from birth. Here we meet Unkinu, a fortunate son who decides to turn his back on the pre-planned life his parents and society had chosen for him when the fabled anarchist and freedom fighter Redum shows up and asks him to join him Redrum. in finding the amphibian. The amphibian, obviously a creature that can breathe underwater and on land, and land seems to be the only escape from Atlantean society. This ridiculous story of Atlantean exiles in search of an amphibian to escape the iron-fisted rule of their own society quickly becomes a parallel to the Bolshevik Revolution. Big time. Like, you can't oh. miss it. And if that wasn't enough... I missed it. Like I said, we see the Atlanteans encountering primitive humans on the surface of the Earth. So this story took place before the dawn of human civilization. It does not get any weirder and more sci-fi than this. The art here by Trakhanov is just amazing. His style reminds me of Darwin Cook meets Jack Kirby, but it's a little fuzzier and scratchier, if you will. It, it reminded me a lot of the Fiamura brothers. Yeah, Max Fiamura, I could see that, or even a little Paul Pope here and there. There's a cartoon feel and a simpleness to the art, but he's obviously very understanding of movement, emotion, and storytelling. It's worth mentioning that Trakhanov is the only listed art talent here, which I assume means he did his own colors, and the coloring here is incredible. It reminds me of like the Blacklight Marvel posters from the 1970s featuring Doctor Strange, totally over the top. But if you think about the fact that they're underwater, they probably have lights on their suits. When they're above water, they're in caves and stuff, again, with lights, and everything reflects blues and bright reds, and it's just stunning to look at. There were some letter choices by Thomas Maurer that threw me a little bit, like the white letters floating in the hyper-colored backgrounds and the underwater scenes, but in the context, I think it was a good choice and it did work well. The story here started a little fast and felt kind of clunky to me, hitting the water running, if you will, but the setup and really interesting premise and art are enough to keep me on for more. I'm giving this a buy it. It's not going to be for everybody because it is weird. But I really liked it. I really liked it too. I did. Uh, I kind of liked the lettering with the with the white letters just kind of floating. Yeah, no. At first, it just threw me a little. But like I said, in the context, it totally worked. Uh, it's it's action packed and fast paced. I will say there were a couple of scenes where I wasn't a hundred percent sure what was happening, but they're very minor. I really liked that Redum was you know this larger than life figure. Like society had painted him as this kind of dictator or monster, and or he's re- like Osama bin Laden. But almost. he's really this, just like this freedom fighter, almost. Right. That is not to say that Osama bin Laden is really just a freedom fighter or a hero. So no, no. <laughs> so go ahead and stop writing that email. Right, please. Uh, I love the coloring. It's super psychedelic. Oh, psychedelic, I guess, is a good word for it. It's weird. Absolutely. It really helps reinforce an otherworldly quality, even though they're on Earth. Right. You know, it's Atlantis we're talking about. We're talking an undersea civilization. It's And it's also an ancient earth. It shouldn't look like opening your door and walking outside. It right. it, it looks strange. And it's beautifully drawn by Trakhanov. A lot of promise. I'd like to see more from this artist. Nice guy, too. We talked to him on Twitter a little Super bit. Super nice guy from Russia. Wanted to introduce the show. Said my English is terrible. I'm sorry. And I said, hey, don't sweat it, buddy. Do it in Russian. And he said, I can't. I don't have a microphone. And I went, touche. Touche. So we got Steve instead. <laughs> Best second choice ever. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of this. I didn't really have any kind of idea or any expectation going into it. Very pleasantly surprised. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Cool.
Tell me about the New Warriors, number one. Let's just get into it. Let's do it. Let's tear this Band-Aid off. New Warriors, number one, from Marvel Comics, written by Christopher Yost, with art by Marcus Toe, and color art by David Curiel. As Justice and Speedball wonder if the world still needs the New Warriors, the High Evolutionary's forces attack around the world. Will this new team of warriors come together in time to stop him? Regular listeners of THN will remember that I am a huge fan of the original New Warriors. The title began in the early 90s. The original team was a group of disaffected teens thrown together by circumstance and compelled to do good in a world that didn't really want them. The stories were compelling and topical, and the book featured work by several creators that are now industry veterans like Fabian Nicieza, Mark Bagley, Derek Robertson, etc., etc. I love all those guys. Patrick Zercher. Love him too. As cheesy as it may be by today's standards, back then it was a fresh take on the teen hero genre which at the time was really not doing so hot. Eh, not much to talk about back yeah. then. After several unsuccessful revivals, the New Warriors are back again, this time by Christopher Yost and Marcus Toe, both of whom are creators that I really enjoy. Unfortunately, their efforts here left me wanting. Like the original team, this group will be brought together by a shared circumstance, the High Evolutionary's attack in this case, but we never actually get that moment. Instead, we're given a series of completely disconnected scenes that don't linger long enough to let us connect with the characters. And while the original team had a specific youthful outrage to bind them together, there's no apparent reason for this group to stay together after the threat has passed. Not yet. And that's not to say that these aren't young characters, but they're all over the place. Nova's like... 12. Kane's not a young character. Scarlet Spider's in his, at least his mid-20s. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this, it's the original Warriors, they were all that very specific, like, late high school. How old is Kane? He's like Peter Parker's He's age. He's the exact same age as Peter Parker. So he's, like he's a clone. 28? Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the art by Marcus Toe is very good for most of the issue, but the work becomes very inconsistent on some pages. Whenever the camera, so to speak, pulls back to a wider shot... The art loses most of its detail, appearing sketchy and incomplete. Now, I realize that this is just the first issue. I'm willing to give Yost more time to flesh out the story and the characters. I'm, I also realize that comparing this title so closely to the original may not exactly be fair. But if Marvel didn't want me to bring my own baggage into this experience, they shouldn't try to cash in on my nostalgia. Okay. I know it sounds like I didn't like the comic, but that's not true. It's okay. It's it's well done. It's competently executed. It's got mostly great art. And it's a damn sight better than the last several attempts to revive the New Warriors. But I needed more to hook me. I needed I needed a reason to care. And the book needs a reason to exist in order for it to rise above being just a generic action title. And for those reasons, I'm giving number one a skimmit. Okay, I don't have the same baggage. I understand. And I went into this open-minded, recently being sold on the idea by Roderick Ruth hey. in our Defender segment a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Okay, a couple weeks. But what you told me that you hoped was there, the, the reason for them to be together, the sort of teen angle, the teen angst, the trying to you know, grow as superheroes, none of that was here. I agree. No, uh, and at this point, to be fair, the characters are a little older, so sure. that that wouldn't be the same hook. But the, the best I can say about this, perfectly good generic superhero comic. Generic is exactly what it felt like. Yeah. From the cover, which yeah. was plain white background, terrible logo, Yeah. to the last page, mediocre is the word in my mind. This is a comic that already feels doomed to me. Like I, I would, hope not. I'd be shocked if it made it for more than a year. It's a four-part storyline. I'd love for, at the end of that fourth issue, to be really excited about sure. the New Warriors. And I didn't hate anything about it, but no. just really generic. Unremarkable. That's Unremar- the, unremarkable. That not the, mediocre, unremarkable. Yeah, that's the best thing I could say about it. It's a skimming for me as well. It's a real bummer. So that is a double buy it for Undertow number one and a double skim it for New Warriors number one. It hurt my heart. Of course, 
We want to know what you undersea terrorists and eternal teenagers thought of this week's comics. So crawl out of the ocean and puke up all the water in your lungs along with your opinions. Gross. Yeah. Over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN Forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's the one that says forum. Right. To be. <laughs> it's the one that says donate. <laughs> That's it. Check the box. Write down $100 and you're in. After watching the Canadian Olympic men's and women's hockey team dismantle our Americans, Joe and I decided enough was enough. And with a little help from our favorite American speedster, Max Mercury, the Zen master of speed, we're running to Sochi to go Tanya Harding on both of their front scoring lines. And then, like Harding, later, we'll pretend to be victims, make a porn, and generally disappoint polite society, all during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, go! Justice League, number 28 from DC. The Metal Men are very near and dear to my heart, and I am very wary of each new attempt to revive them. Very wary. Very wary. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine my delight when their introduction to the new 52 was announced. Delight is in air quotes. Well, colored me surprised. This issue was excellent. Really? Yes. It's not without its flaws. I mean, Forever Evil still has the DC Universe in a depressing stranglehold. And it's going to last forever. Right. But Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice delivered a great modernization of the team and take great care to preserve what made the characters so wonderful in the first place. I was very pleased with this issue. Wow. Buy it. Terminator, enemy of my enemy, number one from Dark Horse. Dan Jolly writes the story of a CIA agent in the 1980s that's been tasked with kidnapping an asset and hiding, but she's interrupted by, you guessed it, a Terminator. I think I'm officially uninterested in Terminator stories, but that's not necessarily this comic's fault. The art by Jamal Eagle is, Eagle or Eagle, I don't know, is very good here. But this is probably only for hardcore Terminator comic fans. Dan Jolly did a good job of writing the story. I think I'm just over it. I like I like I like the creative team, but Yeah, giving it a skin. Yeah. I will say Eigel's art gets better every time I see it. The Love that dude. Talented dude. Jamal Eigel was the artist on the first revival of the New Warriors in the early 2000s. Full circle. There you go. Hey. The circle of New Warriors life. Daredevil. We did it. Number 36. Marvel. Mark Wade and Chris Somney wrap up this volume of Daredevil's Adventures with a satisfying end to the Sons of the Serpent storyline that doesn't take the same twists you might expect it to. Plus, the status quo shift is major enough that it brings a little more legitimacy to the upcoming relaunch. As always, this is wonderful stuff, and you should be reading it. If you haven't been, jump on with a new number one next month. You won't regret it. Right on. Buy it. X-Files Conspiracy TMNT from IDW. The lone gunmen continue their investigations into the urban myths of the IDWU, this time searching for Ninja Turtles. As dumb as this crossover sounds, it was actually really well executed, written, and drawn. This was a lot of fun. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm curious to see how they sell the lone gunmen going looking for Transformers. (laughs) 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 Giving it a buy it. (laughs) Savage Dragon number 193 from Image. I have not read Savage Dragon since issue 75, but this issue was labeled the first in a, quote, bold new direction. So I jumped right in. Kudos to Eric Larson for creating a true jumping on point here. Yeah, there will be details that fly over your head, but nothing detracted from my enjoyment of the story. Plus, Larson continues to prove that he has more imagination than any 10 creators working today. This was great fun. And I'm looking forward to more. I'm giving it a buy it. Avengers World number three from Marvel. You want Matt Bomb to buy a comic book? Give him 20 pages of Shang-Chi fighting the Gorgon, and I'm willing to forget that Madripoor is on top of a giant dragon's head for 10 minutes. This was just fun, and I love the flashbacks to the Kung Fu Masters of old. I also love Shang-Chi as Marvel's Super Bruce Lee and Stefano Caselli just gets better every time he draws a comic. Buy it. Loki, Ragnarok and Roll, number one for Boom. Thank God for public domain. (laughs) This was an interesting take on the Norse characters Marvel readers like myself are so familiar with. Here, Loki takes the fall for Thor's ineptitude and is exiled to Earth, but finds modern society a whole lot more to his liking than he remembered. The whole Loki becoming the rock and roll patron saint of goth weirdos, it's a little silly. But this was really well written, 
beautifully drawn. I'm not sure if I'm really interested enough to continue, but I'm giving this a really positive skin in. Hey, all right. Like, I liked it. Cool. Iron Man Annual, number one for Marvel. Iron Manual. Iron Manual. <laughs> this one ties in the Iron Man Infinite Digital First comic that set up a story about mining some type of super mineral that pollutes the human soul and makes a big two-faced, literally two-faced, Russian robot greedy. I had no clue what was going on here, and it didn't seem to have the same tone of the regular Iron Man series. I would go on to tell you that there is no mention that this comes out of the Iron Man Infinite comic. There's just this forward that sets up a story that sounds like it was just plucked from the air, <laughs> like, like they forgot to write the beginning of it. I honestly, it was like, wait a minute. I know I've missed two issues of Iron Man, but I don't remember like this going on in the regular series. I didn't care for this. I'm giving it a skip. Iron Manuel. Iron Manuel. Iron Manuel. See. White Suits, number one from Dark Horse. <laughs> Five Ghosts writer Frank Barbary and Rod Racer artist Toby Cypress bring us a gritty tale about a group of mysterious killers and an amnesiac trying to piece together his connection to them. Bizarre, beautiful, brutal. I have no idea what's really going on, but I know I want more of it. Buy it. I love this creative team. Yeah, uh, it was bonkers. Amazing Forest, number three from Monkey Brain. Eric Freitas and Ulysses Farinas, artist of Catalyst Comics and the recent Judge Dredd Mega City 2, write this two-part digital first anthology. The first story is a Twilight Zone-esque take on humans and their pets with amazing art by Heyando Park. The second is a modern version of Fletcher Hank's crazy Golden Age character, Stardust, who leaves the Earth to go create life elsewhere with hilarious consequences. This was completely awesome. And only 99 cents, digital only. Buy it. Plop, plop, plop. That is your ludicrous speed round. And plop, plop, plop is the sound of the weird Atlantean ship dropping something into the ocean as seen in the weird pages of Undertow number one. It was weird. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it too. <laughs> Those of you watching the Olympics may have noticed the strange pink infection that haunted both of Bob Costas's eyes. It was disgusting. Like a miracle, the plague seemed to have lifted shortly after we all agreed that Matt Lauer is a lot of things, but a sportscaster is not one of them. He's a famous dick, too. This week, Matt and I sat down in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss what we now know to be Costas's recent dip in a Russian Lazarus pit that not only cured his pink eye, but also greatly lengthened his life. You went nuts when he crawled out. Dude. That's right. <laughs> Matt, does this mean Costas needs to be stopped? And what are you reading next week? I love him. He's the voice of baseball, but yeah, we have to put him down. <laughs> next week, I'm going to be reading Fantastic Four, number one, written by Joe's boyfriend, James Robinson. It's true. With art by Leonard Kirk, who's not my boyfriend, but, you know, I would totally make out with him. Here's your solicit. The fall of Fantastic Four Part 1! The world's greatest comics magazine begins anew with Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four. But as the brilliant Mr. Fantastic, the compassionate Invisible Woman, the ever-loving Thing, and the hot-headed Human Torch embark on a strange mission. <laughs> and the compassionate Michael Jordan. <laughs> the Invisible Torch is Michael Jordan right now. <laughs> Embark on their strange mission. Pardon me. They are met with new beginnings. What an untimely end as the family of a cosmic explorers heads toward their darkest hour. Who could possibly be behind their downfall? Certainly it's not Dr. Doom. Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> and how is one of their oldest enemies, the sadistic dragon, known as Fing Fang Foom, involved? Prepare for the fantastic. Uh, point of order. It's Fin Fang Foom. Sorry me. Not Fing Fang Foom. You had... It says Fing. This, I cut and pasted this listen. They are wrong. Yeah, I cut and pasted that solicit, Marvel. What the hell, dudes? Copy editing. James Robinson, Leonard Kirk, Fin Fang Foom, The Fantastic Four. That's all I'm saying. You don't yeah. buy it, you're a jerk. Yeah. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for? My pick for next week was going to be Fantastic Four until I read a little bit about Vandroid, number one, coming from Dark Horse Comics. Sum it up for me. This is written by Tommy Lee Edwards and Noah Smith with art by Dan McDade. You may remember him from Jersey Gods. Okay. Here's your solicit. 
When Palm Springs Entertainment Studios burned to the ground in 1984, the most definitive motion picture of a generation was lost before its time. Now, 30 years later, the extraordinary talents of Tommy Lee Edwards, Noah Smith, and Dan McDade unite to resurrect this lost epic. What the solicit does not tell you is that Vandroid is a fake 80s action movie about an android with a machine gun that drives around in a sweet van. I love it. <laughs> and it took me a lot of digging before I I kind of figured out that it is not really an action movie that never got released because the studio burnt down. And even still, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of a mystery. But everything about this looks amazing. It looks like a Michael Bane movie. It looks like a Carl Rocco film is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carl Rocco. <laughs> or Carl Co. or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, they used to own the rights to Spider-Man. That's true. You're welcome, America. It's true. <laughs> we dodged Jean the Claude Van Damme is Spider-Man. <laughs> but I can't wait to read this. I love that cheesy 80s nonsense. And I love like homages to it even yeah. more. But you're only going to get stuff like this in the pages of a comic book. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and Dark Horse is on a roll with this. Just this sort of thing. You got yeah. the Grindhouse book. You got this. Loving it. Excited to read Vandroid number one. The THN Trade of the Week next week goes to, just in case you missed it, Uncanny, Volume 1. It's from Dynamite, written by Andy Diggle, with art by Aaron Campbell. This is not the recycling or updating of another Golden Age character you've never heard of. This is a brand new it's character. It's an actual comic book, yeah. like an original story. Good job, Dynamite. Written by, well, that's coming to us from Andy Diggle, a writer you and I both like. But oh, yeah. Had some issues for a little bit there with the Shadowland thing and everything. But, you know, we won't go back to that. Uh, yeah, you know. It's the story of Weaver, who has six billion skill sets, but only one last chance. Born with the uncanny ability, he can steal other people's memories, abilities, and expertise for a limited time. A man with a power like that could change the world, but as a professional gambler, con man, and thief for hire, Weaver prefers to look out for number one, baby. That is, until he finds himself drawn into a dangerous game of international intrigue where the rules keep changing, the players are hidden, and the first thing he stands to lose is his life and maybe... Just maybe he isn't so unique after all. Wow, you really slipped into like 80s trailer man voice. Good, right? This collects a complete storyline from issues number one through number six of the regular monthly Uncanny comic book series. It's a fun read. Check it out if you missed it. Absolutely. As always, we want to know what you're looking forward to reading next week. So now that the Costas investigation is closed, let us know over at the THN forums. Every damn month, Joe Patrick and I like to review one trade paperback or graphic novel that we think deserves a closer look. This month, we cheated a little bit and just kind of took a series that isn't necessarily collected yet, but we were really excited about it. Why do you got to phrase it that way? Because it's not collected. We're making Don't make it sound like a failing on our part. It's kind of a failing on our part. It's not a failing on our part. We're doing something a little different as we review the complete 12-issue run of Michael Fife's Copra. Michael Five. That's a P, by the way, not a B. <laughs> Cobra. You're right. You know, lots of well-meaning uh, listeners offering up their GI Joe Cobra collections to make this review. Happen. Yeah, which is very nice. And this is also Much not appreciated. Not based on the Stallone Cobra movie. No, it's it's <laughs> Cobra, which is terrible. Michael Fife is a creator that seemed to come out of nowhere, debuting the first issue of his series during the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Festival at the end of 2012. By the time the series wrapped at the end of 2013, it was featured on several best of the year lists and it landed Fife a job writing Marvel's upcoming Ultimates relaunch. Like almost instantly. Yeah. Well, after about a year. Copra is a self-published series written, drawn, inked, lettered, and colored by Fife himself. The series follows a group of expendable, super-powered beings framed for the deaths of thousands and on the run from the same government that they worked for. Fife's love of DC's Suicide Squad series from the 80s is present on every page, and over the course of a year, Fife managed to tell the best Suicide Squad story in over two decades without ever using any of the actual characters. Matt Bomb, what did you think? 
I couldn't have worded it better than your intro because while I was reading it, I kept saying to myself, why is this guy not writing the Suicide Squad? Right, (laughs) really. I hate the current Suicide Squad book. And this, they could have just started with relaunch. Go. Suicide Squad exists. They did this thing. There was an explosion. Bunch of people died. Now they're on the run. You know, man, it would be so much better than what we have, but that's neither here nor there. One thing that... And it's a hurdle for a lot of people, and it was a hurdle for me as well. Michael Fife's art is not finished or necessarily professional like most of the comic art that we're used to I looking at. I don't agree. But it is not much like Jeff Lemire, much like Matt Kent. His art is perfect for he, the story he's I mean, telling. He doesn't, it's true that he does not have access to professional yes. printing and coloring but techniques. But like even some of the choices he makes in the way he draws some characters and stuff, oh, it, no, I it love looks... It. It's highly stylized. It's highly stylized, but it totally works. And some of you are going to have to jump that hurdle when you get in when you decide to dig into this. You can't do that right now. It will be collected soon. It will come out, I don't know where. When it does, pick it up, but don't be freaked out about the art. I would also say that as the story goes on, he gets better and better and better with his art. And just the fact that this dude was doing everything Cover to cover, everything. Selling it on his Etsy store originally is so impressive that he could stick with it and put out this high quality of a story. Yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous feat of storytelling. The flow of the storytelling, the way the panels move from one to another, the way he utilizes lettering, the way he incorporates it into the art, uh, the way the like the lush, full backgrounds. It, it's not just a plain... You know, Matt talks about the art, and and he's sticking to his guns on that whole unfinished type of thing. I disagree. I think it's exactly the way Fife wants it to be. It, he switches from style to style. Not style to style. Technique to technique. Yeah. Uh, effortlessly. And sometimes within the same panel, you've got, like, some smudgy, charcoal-y looking stuff. You've got, you know, bright colors here and there. You've got completely washed out, you know, in this panel. You've got artwork forming the panels in some cases it's so inventive in the way he tells the story and it flows beautifully i think it's visually stunning i i'm not 100 percent sure what else michael fife has done i don't know that he's done anything else i know that he he had a a mini comic that came out before this that was actually it actually featured the suicide squad oh but he gave it away for free shh no, I mean, he, he gave it away. It was just like a fan comic. He okay. gave it away for free. The screw aside squad. Right. It was different. <laughs> right. And I, I looked at some pages from it. It's lovely. He's got some Dave Gibbons, like, nine-panel grid type stuff going here. Yeah. It's all over the place. His storytelling is advanced. I will say yeah. that. And at first, I, it was a little tough for me to get into the rhythm. But then when I did... Especially like all the weird geometric stuff that goes on. There's a lot of... With like thought bubbles and magic yeah. spells and stuff. It's just a different way than we've ever really seen that being done. And it, it seems like early issues of Doctor Strange and characters like Doctor Fate, artists kind of decided what magic is going to look like in comics. And for the most part, that's always what magic has kind of looked like, you know, with wavy, crackly lines or whatever coming out of their hands. Fife goes a totally different direction with it here. And he has this magic character, Vin or something. Like that. Uh, yeah, it's like Vincent or yeah, whatever. His name is but, Vin- I mean, he's Doctor Strange. He's basically Doctor Strange. But the way that he projects like magic and opens portals and stuff, it's just bizarre. It's, it's this weird tiled geometric, almost like M.C. Escher looking sketchy stuff that happens out of him. And it, it's really cool. And the whole story's sort of centers around all these weird geometric villains and stuff that are secretly behind what's going on. And it's just unlike, it's it's really refreshing to see someone that didn't necessarily come up in the professional comic business and adhere to the rules of professional comics put their twist on a superhero story. Questionably good guys framed for a crime they didn't commit on the run. Go. And just putting his sort of strange independent twist on it made this so refreshing. I'm honestly a little scared for him to start writing the Ultimates because I don't want him to lose this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I, want him to hold on to what he's good at and shame, shame on DC for not discovering this guy and throwing Suicide Squad at him. 
Shame on you. You guys were there. You were at that show. Somebody knew this guy was happening and doing his thing. This guy's been around, like, on the periphery of comics. For somebody that, you know, like I said, literally stepped out of nowhere. Kind of out of nowhere. And then blew everyone away with a work of this caliber. And maintained a pretty tight schedule on a book that he was doing everything on. Amazing. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the homage. It is very thinly veiled, if you can even say that it's veiled at all. Yeah. There are characters, there's the Punishers here. Doctor Strange and Clea are here. Absolutely. He melds his favorites from both of the big two, like his childhood favorites, Mm -hmm. and creates this seamless world that, that makes perfect sense in this context. He's got... You know, the classic Suicide Squad members are here after a fashion. Count Vertigo, Captain Boomerang, Shade the Changing Man, yeah. Bronze Tiger, oh, Deadshot, and the Deadshot analog, which they just call Lloyd, Yeah, is like one of my favorite characters in this book. Yeah, he was great. It's such a faithful, loving offering, like a, a, like a... Something done in honor of these characters. I think what's interesting, what you're trying to say and what's interesting about it is what I touched on in saying, this is not a guy that came up in the professional comics world adhering to professional comics rules. He just came up loving comics. And this is his open love letter to the series and characters interpreted through his, we'll call it independent style. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's totally fair. Yeah. Which is not, that doesn't make it bad. I, I thought it was refreshing and cool and fun, and I really wish, I really wish they would have taken a chance on giving him a job like the Suicide Squad. Now that he's getting some major professional attention, Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see where he goes from here. Absolutely. Because this sort of thing is exactly where guys like Brian Michael Bendis came from. Absolutely. Yeah, like his work on like Jinx and... Right, these things that, like, not that Bendis was doing homage work like this, but... No, he was doing... He was just plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, and then finally... At Caliber Comics, it wasn't paying him. Right, and then finally the internet was like, oh, well now hold on. Yeah, this guy's great. And now this is happening to Michael Fife, and I couldn't be happier. Definitely. It's easy for self-published stuff like this that is riffing on established stuff to just kind of dwell in that homage and not really have a story of its own wallow in fan fiction yeah exactly right this is absolutely the opposite of that yeah this has a tight story that has a dozen different threads going in all sorts of different directions right that all come perfectly together by the end it's masterfully executed. He makes comics the way the way Quentin Tarantino makes movies. They're open love letters to things that he cared about, he grew up loving, but it's absolutely his stamp on it. Yeah. It would be easy to say this is a fun homage. It had fun art. No real story, but that's okay because the guy's just having fun. Sure. This is actually a very well-produced, well-written, well-plotted and orchestrated story that drew me in from the beginning and had me hooked until the end. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, without a doubt. So to finally put a pin in all of this and wrap it up in a bow and whatever other weird metaphor you want to use. Throw some lipstick it, on this pig. It's a huge buy it. <laughs> yeah. If you can find it. Not that you can. <laughs> this will be reprinted. It's amazing and absolutely worth seeking out. So if you can't get your hands on the copies now, keep this in the back of your mind and wait for the announcement. We'll be the first to tell you. When it happens, because this guy is going places. Absolutely. Welcome to the big time, Fife. Next month on Take a Look, It's in a Book, we will be reading Down, Set, Fight from Oni, the story of men fighting mascots. There's more to it than that, but man, that's all they had to give me. Yeah, that's that's the hook. And yeah, before anybody feels like they need to point it out on the internet, yes, Comics Therapy gave us the idea. Stallone is Cobra. And that is it for the f*** you Canada You may have hockey but your version of football Is stupid episode of THN If you love America as much as we do You can subscribe to this show On iTunes or Stitcher Where we still desperately need Your iTunes star ratings and reviews Because they all got washed away Lost them all We're crawling our way back though Thanks everybody Yeah we are crawling back up Thank you Even thank you four star review guy You know who you are You know exactly who you are You son of a bitch We also appreciate Stitcher thumbs ups 
Yeah, thumbs yeah. ups. <laughs> because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, but especially to our newest sustaining donor, Charles. Chuck! And if you'd like to help keep us in maple leaf flags for burning, you can make your donation in any amount using our good old American PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Canada has football? Yeah. And it's different? Canadian rules football. It's stupid. Well, that's lame. That's where uh, Kurt Warner came from. Yeah. Well, that figures. Yeah. I don't know if that vitriol was really... The, the uh, man won a Super Bowl. Okay. I just... <laughs> okay. I just... I took a shot. I was like, ah, Kurt yeah, Warner. That real. Kurt was pretty good at what he did. Yeah. Uh, the PayPal button, by the way, is at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. It really does. While you're there, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and... Our direct ziggurat phone number, 402-819-4894. Using this overabundance of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd questions. You can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions. Or you can defend your questionable comic tastes in front of the judge in our Defenders segment. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. We haven't received any for a while, and we I've got love a, getting stuff from you guys. You know what? I've gotten two now. Oh, from Brian Dupont. You're just not sharing them with Both me. Both from Brian Dupont. I just I haven't found a good place to work them in. Jesus Real Christ, sorry, dude. Come on. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can question our patriotism, or you can just rap about. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion, even though that discussion happens at the THN forums. What is wrong with you? If you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week audio podcast. If you already subscribe to this show, it will appear in your feed. You don't need to do a damn thing. It's true. That show usually comes out on Wednesday. Usually. Next week, it's our wild card show, so you'll just have to tune in to see what happens, meaning we haven't prepared yet. Nothing. <laughs> if you are a comic creator that wants to be interviewed, let us know. <laughs> if you need more THN in your life, head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out the exciting return of the Girl Meets Nerd blog, where Casey makes fun of Matt, much to his chagrin, and... I beat her until she started writing again. <laughs> and the most controversial comic blog on the internet, The Ludicrous Speed Reviews. Written by the rabble-rousing Aaron Myers of the Comics Therapy Podcast. That guy is trouble. I'll tell you what. I know that I promised the nerd fight between me and Silva. I didn't have any time to write an actual essay. Oh, get it done. Listen. Our weekly shout-out does not go to Joe Patrick, but it does go to Brian DuPont, creator of Pecos Bill. His Kickstarter for the third issue of Pecos Bill is just $125 short of his goal. With 13 days left, word to you, Brino. And... If you want to see the badass variant cover of our very own Joe Patrick, go to Kickstarter and donate now. Pecos Bill, it's a worthy cause, fun stuff. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, Pecos Bill specifically, because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.